All right, let's make our ways back. Um, to let you know, we are, maybe while you're up and about, if you have not got communion, now would be a good time to grab it because we'll be ending the service with communion today. So the uh, communion elements are right there in the back if you do not have them yet. Also love to welcome everyone who's joining us online this morning. We're glad you're a part of this. All right. Christianity in America and its influence is declining. Uh, in 1972, according to the Pew Research Center, in 1972, 90% of Americans identified as Christian. By 2020, that percentage had decreased to 64%. By 2070, it is estimated that percentage will be somewhere between 35 to 40%. A Gallup poll in 2021 recognized that for the first time in American history, church membership fell below 50%. In the year 2000, church members, so, so when you would poll people, they say, are, are, are you a member of a church? In 2000, 70% of the people responded, yes. In 2021, that number had gone from 70% to 47% in 21 years. In an AP poll, 30% of the US, United States identified with no religious group at all. This, this is the fastest growing religious group in the United States. They're called the nuns. It's not like Catholic nuns. Nuns like, hey, what, what, what religion are you? None. N none. What, what's your religious belief? None. Uh, out of that 30%, making up that 30%, 7% said we're atheist, don't, don't believe in God. The other 7%, another 7% said we're agnostic, just don't believe you can know. 16% said, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just don't know. None. It's, it's not really a thing for me. So many people say, hey, I am spiritual, but not religious. Lifeway Research did a study recently on churches in America. Said, hey, good news. Every year in America, there's 3,000 churches that are planted, 3,000 churches that start, and 4,500 that die. The Hartford Institute of Religion Research said in 2020, the median Sunday morning attendance for a church when it would gather, the median number was 137 people. This is in 2020. 20 years later, it went from 137 to 65. Whatever I said, you know what I meant. <laughs> what did I say, Bill? I just flipped it. All right, you got it. On Sunday, or 2000, it was 137. In 2020, 65. Why is this happening? COVID 
is one of the reasons. And it accelerated the decline, but the decline was happening way before COVID. That number of 65 has not gone way back up. So why is this happening? What, what are the reasons? What, it, what is the why? Is it, and there's so many, not just perspectives, but I, I would say angles and sides to it. So, some of them being the, the politicization, that everything is so politicized and, and divided within our country, and then all of a sudden Christianity starts to represent something that it's not intended to represent, like a side or a Republican or Democrat, and, and that has divided and really turned many off. The hypocrisy within the church, sexual scandals that, that have hit, you know, not just Catholic and Baptist, but really affected across. So, so many of the even evangelical leaders have been found to be living this dual life and such a disappointment and hurt. There's this whole new thing of like church trauma and church hurt where you are disappointed by your leaders or power manipulation. Just that a church has become what many say in an increasingly secular culture of the church is just out of step with reality. And holds these old school values, especially when it comes to sexuality. Homosexuality, just basic. I mean, you know, basic Christian principles of like, hey, sex is created in, in the framework and fabric of marriage. The increased secularization of our culture and a deep loss of trust of institutions, and many of it rightly placed, and much of it not so. My desire isn't to really dissect the why, although I believe it is important. My reason for bringing all of this up is to ask a question. The question is, what is my responsibility? Well, let me ask it for you. Or you just ask yourself now, what is our responsibility? Because we are a church in America in 2024 in Boulder County. We are living in this cultural moment and we know what God has called us to. Okay, build authentic relationships with God and one another until everyone belongs. When you walk out the doors, man, we painted that on the sign, like, until everyone belongs. It's not just about this group, and God is calling us to bigger. I believe the, the answer to American Christianity's struggles, the answer to American Christianity's struggles are found in recapturing what Jesus taught and modeled to the world and to his followers. So welcome to love your neighbor. For the next eight weeks, we're going to focus on Jesus. We're going to focus on the way that he changed the world, the way he loved others, the way he did ministry. Do you know that the most used title for Christians in the Bible, in the New Testament, it's not Christians. It's followers of the way. 
And I want to propose that Jesus not only made the way for us to have restored relationship with God through his ransoming and his sacrifice for us, but that he also modeled for us the best way to minister and to disciple others, the best way to build his kingdom, the best way to be the church, the best way to help everyone belong, the best way to change the world. These eight weeks are going to build on each other. For each week, we're going to pull a principle out of how Jesus lived his life and how he did ministry. Each week, we will be challenged. Each week, it will apply to us personally and the life we live. Much of the framework, not all the content, but much of the framework for this series comes out of a small book called The Master Plan of Evangelism written by Robert Coleman in the beautiful year of 1963. It has been reprinted multiple times and just, it is small. If you want it, go on Amazon and order it. But I'm going to take that slide down really soon, so take a picture or do it quick. Our focus, as Mike said, as I said, of this next year is to face outward as a church. To align ourselves with God's desires to love those around us. To minister, to be ministers of the gospel of peace in a year that promises to be contentious and divisive. Uh Uh-huh. To be a people of a different way. And to trust God to use us to usher others into his presence and his truth. And his ways. God, what are you going to do this year through us? What is God going to do through you? Are you open to it? Do you want to see him use you to bring hope and healing to others? Do you? So let's begin. Let's begin. How did Jesus change the world? He didn't start a church. He did not gather a ton of money. He did not run for public office. He did not write a book. He was not an influencer on social media. He didn't run a marketing campaign. What did he do? He focused on a few. People were his program. Men were his method. He focused on a few. If you have a Bible on your phone or paper Bible, grab it. I want, I want to walk us through a few things. I'm, I'm going to put it on the screen too. But Andrew and John were the first to be invited in. Here in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, we read, The next day, John, this was John the Baptist, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples, so these guys were John's disciples, when he heard John say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, 
and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. James, the brother of John, is not mentioned until several months later when he is listed as one of the group in Matthew chapter 4, 21. But, but here comes these first four. And then we get another account. And Jesus really shook things up. In Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Let's read this. Once again, Jesus went out beside a lake. A large crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. As he walked along... He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. What's Levi's other name? Matthew. Matthew. Jesus invites a tax collector, one normally shunned and seen as offensive, and, and Jesus invites him in. Come, you come. And follow me. Come and be close. Come and learn. The calling of the others of Jesus' inner circle, they're not actually recorded in the Gospels. But it's believed that all of these who are going to be the inner 12 started following Jesus and were invited in in his first year of public ministry. As his ministry and popularity grew and as more and more people began following him and as his time was spread more and more thin... Midway through his second year of ministry, Jesus did this. And this comes out of Luke chapter 6. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples. So he's got got a number of them to him. And he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew... James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. All these masses are around listening to him. A smaller group are following him, and a smaller group he calls out the twelve. Jesus spent most of the remainder of his life focused on these few disciples. And even within that inner circle of the 12, there were three who held an even closer relationship with Jesus. Only Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Only those three are invited into the sick room where Jairus, uh, of Jairus' daughter where Jesus heals this young girl. Only Peter, James, and John are invited to behold Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And on the night of his betrayal, as he bowed down and prays till blood sweats out of his forehead, only Peter, James, and John are invited close up next to him to pray with him. So instead of continually pondering and pandering to the masses and giving scheduled time to every person who asks, Jesus focused on a few. 
What, what made these men different? Why, why did he pick them? None of them had religious training or held any positions of authority within the religious system. They were mainly blue-collar, common, with little standing or financial resources. The only one who came from the good side of the tracks, Judas Iscariot. This group was temperamental, contentious at times, easily offended, held all kinds of prejudices of their environment. They basically make me feel good about our church. <laughs> Why would Jesus choose them? Because they were hungry. They were honest men. They desired for something more. The institutional religious establishment that was more twisted than straight had not bent these men's desire for God. They hungered for the real, and they were open to learning. They were teachable. They were pliable in the hands of the master, able to overcome the broken, pious system of the day and to learn a new way. As Robert Coleman said, he has, has this quote. I want to read this to you. One cannot transform a world except as individuals are transformed. And individuals cannot be changed except as they are molded in the hands of the master. Jesus focused on a few. In order to like internalize or personalize this, let, let me ask, let me ask, who, who has discipled you? Who has discipled you? Who has helped lead you and form you? I, I'll never forget as a teenager, uh, A man named uh, Salt. I was a uh, squirrely sophomore at Centaurus High School. I think we have one or two of those sitting over there. <laughs> this guy led a Bible study for me and some of my friends on the soccer team. We went hiking. We went fishing. He moved to Denver to minister in the inner city. But he did not stop pursuing me. He was a no BS kind of guy. Honest, vulnerable, a deep love for God, and he challenged me. He asked me hard questions. One thing about Salt, he would always pray with his eyes open. And I love that. There seemed to be no difference between pray and play. Like he invited God into all things. When I was in college, he came and visited me in Southern California. When Melanie and I were married, he spoke at our reception in Colorado. When I was ordained as a pastor, he anointed my head with oil and prayed over me. Melanie and I still today financially support Salt and his magnificent wife, Marcy, 
as they continue to minister to squirrely teenagers in the inner city of Denver? Who has discipled you? Graydon. A man who for 50 years pastored, loved people, served churches, took me under his Taught me what it was to pastor, to love people, to lead, to serve. It's a man named John Peterson, Carrie's dad, who spent hours with me, reminded me what it is to be a son and to get identity as a son of the father, not all the other things that clamor and clang for attention and identity. Who has discipled you? If you can't recall any names or stories, change it. If you are new to the faith or just beginning to explore Christianity or return to this whole Jesus thing, I cannot say it loud enough. Find someone you can sit with. Coming to a Sunday morning is a great thing, and it's a good first step. But find someone who has walked a few more miles than you and sit with them. Fish with them. Be with them. Jesus modeled for us the power of focusing on a few So let me shift our question a little bit more from who has discipled you? And let's start focus outward. Who are you involved with? Who are you actively engaged with in their life? I want to break this into two segments. To whom has God given you to minister? And who has God placed in your life to mentor? What I mean by minister is the word minister in, in, in the Bible, it's really just, it's a servant to serve, to care for, someone who needs your presence with them, your hospitality, your charity, your kindness, your compassion. Who has God put in your life to be the hands of Jesus? Remember, Jesus focused on the few. You can't go help everyone. And that's okay. He's not asking that of you. And it, it's so exhausting when we try and like put the weight of the world on our shoulders or, or take God's role in things. Focus on the few. Who is he asking you to minister to one or to two people? I, and I'll just tell you, church, I am like... Um, humbled and encouraged by you. And not that the work's done, but I feel like I could just go around this room and point out stories of ways that I've seen uh, uh, so many of us step up and serve and help one another or even other people in our circles. 
You minister well, church. So many, so many in this room have such a heart of compassion. But there is a bigger responsibility. Who has God given you to mentor? Who are you discipling? Who, who, to who are you saying, come and follow me as, as I follow Jesus? M Mike Oliver, who, who spoke uh, this morning, who's going to be the, the chairman, he's been meeting with three younger guys for like five years. I'm talking about faith and marriage and finances and kids and parenting and business and all of this stuff. If you say, Matt, truth is, I, I'm not discipling anyone. And the truth is, I don't know how to do it. I don't know who to do it with, and I wouldn't even know where to start. Let me just say a couple things. Proficiency is a joke. Like, hey, I've got this all figured out. Let me get it all figured out of how, how I would help someone, of what all I could bring to them, of what I could point. Let me get it all charted out and figured out before I take the step. That's a lie. That's just a roadblock. So, so just set down a little bit of like, oh, I've got a, you are not Jesus, but his spirit is in you. Yes, you will get better, but nobody has it all figured out. I am the lead pastor of this church. I don't have it all figured out. You want to you you know the truth? There are times I'm in a room and I'm standing there and I'm like, man, I wish there was a pastor here. <laughs> oh, shoot. It's what Jack spoke last week. My son spoke last week. And he gave us that verse and reminded us, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Man, the worst mentor or discipler would be someone who tries to act like they've got it all figured out. If you would need help, like if you're talking to someone, they start asking you, man, I don't know all the Bible stuff. I don't know. They ask me questions. I don't know where to go. I don't. Man, ask your mentor. Ask her, hey, how could you help me? This person asked me this question. I don't know how to answer. If you don't have one, get one. Ask your life group. Talk to your, you know. If you go to your discipler or your mentor and your life group and they don't know, come to a pastor. Tyler would love to help you out. <laughs> it's, just, it's just true. As I, as I look at our church, one of the biggest assets of this church is the number of mature and seasoned followers of Jesus. It is like one of the biggest assets of this church. May it be that also one of the bigger responsibilities to help pour that out, to help build others up, to help bring others along. Jesus focused on a few. Last week, Jeff spoke about seeking first God's kingdom. 
Jeff, where's Jeff? Jeff, man, I so appreciate your gift of teaching. And last week was really encouraging and instructive and inspiring. And thank you. One of the greatest ways we live in God's ways is to give away what he gives us. To pass it on. Build his kingdom not by just being filled, but by pouring out. Being a follower of Jesus it means that we help others follow Jesus. So, who are you ministering to? Who are one or two people in your life right now that God's maybe putting the highlighter on? Hey, this, this person, they're in your life and you have a special role to play. Who, who in your life is God maybe highlighting and pointing out, saying, hey, this is someone that doesn't just need a warm meal or a good connection. They need someone they can really sit with and learn from and ask hard questions with. They need someone to help disciple them. What marked the 12 that Jesus walked with? And they were hungry and they were teachable. Is there anyone in your life right now, you're like, man, that person is hungry. They, they, they want to be, be helped. They, wanna, they have so many questions. So let's do this. Because I actually believe um, God has someone for you in both those little categories. And it would sort of, I don't want to just talk through it. Uh, let's, so let's spend a couple minutes. Uh, we're just going to be quiet. We're going to pray. And, and ask that question, God, who are you calling me to minister to and to mentor? Focus on a few one or two. Can we do that?
If we want to see the statistics of American Christianity change, uh, it's, it's not coming through slicker Sunday mornings, sharper outreach campaigns. It's going to come through individuals being changed by the reality of God with us. And then us sitting with others and sharing our lives. It's not a program, it's relationships. Jesus changed the world by focusing on a few. Yeah, God, who are you calling us? To whom are you calling us? And for those of us who just sit in the room and are like, man, whatever, uh, empty, I'm aching, I don't have a reservoir to pull from, I got 10 times the questions and answers, uh, Father, I pray over us as well. This is not something we're manufacturing, we're not trying to produce something. That we're trying to know you and have connection with you, that then you fill us with your truth and your spirit. And so for those who feel empty or aching or maybe even guilty for being challenged, like, I don't have something to give right now. And I speak peace over you. This comes from an overflow. And may you experience a God who loves you, who knows you, who calls you home doesn't just make all the problems and issues go away or easy, but it brings things into right perspective. Mm. So Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your ways. May we be challenged and may we take steps to grow closer to you. We are your followers. Church, let's stand up. Let's worship. Uh, let's worship together. If you need prayer this, this morning, please don't hesitate to go back. Find a prayer team person and join their faith with you and it's really important don't don't leave here today without without getting that done god is faithful and he answers prayer and we're two or more gathered one drive away a thousand two drive away ten thousand so get some prayer this morning